0: Great. Well, welcome, everyone. Nice to be with you all. Oh, so nice to see your, your smiling faces there. So tonight I'll be talking about, uh, this is the second of four talks on, this, on the um, four spiritual centers and the drives that go along with that, the instinctual drives. And tonight we'll be on the heart center and the one-on-one drive or also the Known as the sexual instinct for those one on one relationships. So we'll go ahead and do a meditation tonight and we're going to focus using Vipassana mostly to feel into the heart center. So for the first part, you know, for the first maybe 10 minutes, I'll give some guidance and then we'll go into silence and you can practice as you wish, continuing with what I've given or doing your normal practice. So then finding your Posture, being alert and relaxed.
1: Letting yourself land here, settle in. We'll sit for about 30 minutes. And then using a gentle
0: kind of curiosity,
1: bringing that
0: to our Vipassana practice of feeling in and tonight we're going to focus at least for this first part on the heart center. So this is the area kind of in the middle of the chest. It can be general there it doesn't have to be any kind of pinpoint area but more just feeling feeling into this area and we'll we'll use the four foundations
1: of mindfulness so bringing some breath to that area And since the lungs are there, it's an easy place to notice our breathing.
0: Well, it can be easy. For some people, it might be easier in the belly.
1: But for now, we'll see if we can notice the breath in this area in the chest. letting our awareness kind of settle into this area of the body. Seeing if we can collect our attention by using the breath as an anchor here. And if our attention wanders off, we'll just gently bring it back. Then including body sensations in the heart area. Noticing any places of tension or contraction. Or you might not notice a whole lot. So we can we can notice that there's kind
0: of a a blankness. If that's what's present, that's fine. We're not looking for anything in particular. We're just being in contact
1: with ourselves in this moment and what's here right now. be tingling or tightness or temperature. Letting our awareness land in this area of the heart center. and Including any emotions that might be there. We might notice again, not looking for anything in particular, just checking in with ourself on what is present here. be some residue from the day or some feeling about the practice. Just noticing that adding to the breath and the body
0: sensations. And also with emotion, we can notice that an
1: emotion has body sensation associated with it. So be curious about that. including thoughts, maybe thoughts about the emotions or about the sensations, thoughts that come up as a result of being with the heart center. Maybe memories. So we can always label any of these things with a note just a one word note about what it is or we can just notice and not use the noting either of those is fine. Noticing even how easy or difficult it is to keep our attention in the heart area. And then adding to these, the Vedana, the feeling tone that we have in response
0: to what we're noticing. So if there's a body sensation, is it
1: pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? If there's an emotion, is it pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? So this is another way we can understand what's arising in our awareness and our response to that. How it lands. And then the last of the foundations of mindfulness, the dharmas, we'll just limit that tonight
0: to noticing if one of the hindrances or defilements comes up. So if you're doing the Vedana and you notice something's unpleasant, does aversion arise or can unpleasant arise without aversion? And again, try to not have judgment about it if... If a reaction does arise, just to be curious and noticing that without self judgment or criticism, or if
1: it's very neutral, does a kind of delusion, boredom, confusion arise, or not, or if it's pleasant, does an attachment arise in response. So we'll sit in this way silently until I ring the bell, working with the heart center. And in these last few minutes, also noticing if there's a connection between the heart center and
0: the other adjacent centers, the belly and the head center,
1: or if they feel kind of disconnected. And again, either of these is fine. We're just being curious about what is present. Okay, so we'll take a five-minute uh, bathroom and stretch break and then start the Dharma Talk. Okay, so I'll go ahead and get started. And as always, I
0: invite folks to turn on their cameras. It's not required, but does help
1: to build a sense of sound. So if you're comfortable with that. That is great.
0: So this is the second of four talks on the spiritual centers and the associated uh, drives that go along with those. Last month I talked about the Belly Center. And um, just as a briefer overview of this for anyone who wasn't there, the centers, there, there are four spiritual centers that relate to the body. There's the Belly Center. Which many traditions um, work with in uh, in a lot of the martial arts, they focus heavily on the belly center. Zen focuses on it with the Hara. Uh, in Taoism, of course, they're very um, attuned to the body's energy and then Qigong. And uh, and there are in the Hindu tradition there are chakras, but this is different than those. So it's it's worth. Um, learning about those and what they are, but this is something different. So um, so there are then the four centers that I'll be talking about. Mostly this comes from the Sufi tradition and my work in the diamond approach. So the belly center, um, which uh, corresponds to the self-preservation instinct, the instinct to stay alive. And it has to do with our physical, the physical realm and our physical support. Um, Tonight, I'll be talking about the heart center. And in the Sufi tradition, this is called the off center, O-T-H. And it corresponds with our that instinct and the tendency to focus on one-on-one relationships and also the sexual drive. Um, but even more broadly, it's really about um, people who have this as, as a primary or a primary um, drive really uh, place a lot of importance on on that one-on-one relationship that those special others that are connected with one-on-one, not so much in a group. And then we have the head center, which in the Sufi tradition is called the path, P-A-T-H. And the center really has to do with the social instinct and the instinctual drives, all of them have um, are the the lower three drives are common to all mammals. So sometimes we forget that we are basically mammals, you know, if we're not that different than uh, some of the other great apes of which we are kind of one of those. Um, And all mammals have these three drives. So, you know, all living things, even plants have an impulse to survive. Plants, some plants can defend themselves and if nothing else they can try and you know, reproduce. So they have um, self-preservation, they have the reproductive drive, all mammals obviously have that to keep the species going. And then there's the, the social instinct really has to do with the tribe, being part of a tribe and finding safety in that. So the drives in, in some ways are very compelling, um, to us and all mammals because they're programmed in biologically. I mean, I'm watching the birds are starting to, you know, they're feeding, starting to feed babies and things here. They know how to do all these things. Nobody gave them a book on how to do it. It was all instinctual. And we sometimes forget that we have those two. They're very powerful drives and we uh, associate them with, um, they're, they're built into our unconscious um, compulsions, really, the tribal instinct is uh, important, because in the old days, and even now, if, uh, if you were kicked out of the tribe, there wasn't a very high chance that you would survive. And all you have to do is watch a documentary on wolf packs to see the truth in that. Because what they do to a wolf who's not behaving is they kick him out. And a lot of those wolves don't make it. So there is a reason why the number one fear of humans, adult humans, isn't death, it's public speaking. Why? Because of the tribal instinct. Because we don't wanna look bad in front of our peers. Why is that important? Well, my gosh, what if we say something wrong and they kick us out permanently? Well, that's scary because of this drive. So you know, there's just one small example of how we're we're still driven by these things. Our programming that made us run from the saber-toothed tiger hasn't really kept up with our um, with our evolution and consciousness. So these drives are fairly primitive, um, and they they affect us whether we want them to or not. And this is part of why they're important to work with on the spiritual path, because if we don't work with them directly, they're still driving us. And uh, they can block our progress on the path. And by running our behavior unconsciously. And in the Diamond Approach, the one of the two founders, Hamid Ali, who goes by the pen name A.H. Alma, he talks about humans being basically the instinctual drives with a thin veneer of civility over the top, you know? And all you have to do is look at the news to see that this is true. I mean, you see what's going on out there. There's a lot of people suffering, being driven by the drives or suffering at the effects of other people being driven by these drives. So um, this is part of why we work with them. And then the fourth center, which is over the head, is the transpersonal center. This is called the the Mo Center and the drive that goes with that is the enlightenment drive. And if we're on the path, you know, it's really important to understand that there is an actual drive that, is part of what is compelling us to practice. And not all humans have it, most humans don't have it. It's not active. But for those who it is active in, and I would say all of you, it's probably active or you wouldn't be on the path, you wouldn't be spending your night doing this instead of something else, because you're interested. There's something in you that is interested in the deeper questions of life is interested in what's beyond the body and the personality. I mean, that's, this is what the Buddha was pointing to was what is beyond the condition and the enlightenment drive is what's compelling us to know that part of what we are. So normally, um, the drives are, Fighting, the the lower drives are fighting with the enlightenment drive. And people, I get asked this all the time well, if I'm really deep on the spiritual path, am I going to have to, like, can I have a relationship? You know, can I work? Can I have children? And so people often think it's an either or. And there is a lot of reconciling that has to happen. But the potential is that ultimately those drives come under the enlightenment drive and the lower drives are serving that serving our spiritual path and our unfoldment. So our survival is about evolving our consciousness. Our relationships help us grow and and learn about ourselves and learn about a lot of times things that we're attached and things aren't working. And, um, or to feel the joy of the mystery of loving another person which I'll talk about. Um, So, you know, that is the potential in the path, but uh, what happens often is people tend to use one center more than the others, or there's what's in the Enneagram. The The drives are also, the instinctual drives are also part of the Enneagram teachings. You don't need to know the Enneagram to benefit from this at all. This is, can be understood separately, but the way they do it there is they stack the drive. So each person um, really, feels into, okay, what is the most predominant drive for me? What is the second and what is the third of the three lower drives? And that can that in some ways is almost as helpful as the Enneagram because we can really see how driven we are. Some people, the third drive is not very active in, in them. You know, it's not something they pay a lot of attention to. All three are active in all of us, but um, we can start working with our own patterning and conditioning and and the spiritual path by understanding how these are affecting us without our knowing and bringing that into our awareness. Um, So in the Enneagram, they're called subtypes, and that's another place to find information on this what else did I want to say that's general there? Yeah, so the, the harmonizing of the drives, one one of the other things that happens is really having all three centers um, open and functioning smoothly. And usually we have blockages in all of the centers that at, at some point, you know, you'll see this either in your body, sometimes the body itself can hold contractions and um, and we can feel into those. And a lot of time if you've done vipassana, I'm sure, you know, all of you who've done vipassana can notice that sometimes you'll feel into a tension point in your body. And then when you start adding the other dimensions of uh, the other foundations of mindfulness beyond the body, you can see that there's content I'm, you know, I'm holding there, like all the phrases we have in English, a pain in the neck. Well, it's pointing to something, you know, we're holding our our tension at someone in the neck or a knot in my stomach. I heard it and I got a knot in my stomach. All these phrases we have are pointing to the fact that the body holds a lot of our, it holds our personality material. Um, So we can start, you know, working with that more skillfully and seeing where we have, um, body armor that is holding our personality material that relates to each of the centers. So that's another way we can use the centers to unwind um, the the personality and to have more freedom um, with our deeper nature. So tonight then I'll talk about uh, and doing that so that we can have more freedom with really allowing our enlightenment drive to get stronger and stronger and not be so dominated by the other drives. And that's what normally happens is the enlightenment drive, you know, for most humans, I don't know what the percentage is, 5% where the enlightenment drive is active. You know, the other 95% of humanity has no interest in any of this you know, which is kind of sad, but I think there are more and more people, I think if you did a study of the last 500 years, you find more and more people actually are having their enlightenment drive activated. So that's one of the hopeful things for humanity, in my opinion. So tonight, um, I'm going to be talking about the heart center. And this, the drive that um corresponds there is that drive for one-on-one relationships. And part of this is the sexual instinct and which doesn't get talked about much in spiritual circles. And isn't it interesting that, you know, you can see people all over teachers I'm talking about who haven't worked this and they may have genuine realization and yet they have sexual misconduct with students. Like what's going on there, you know? Well, they clearly weren't actually working with this because there's been a taboo about working with it. And so part of what I'm trying to do and this teaching does is to take that off and actually say, we need to work with these things. Um, You know, the number of teachers who've had, who've had, you know, sex with students, like the first time that they had this thought wasn't the time they acted on it. They had to have had that thought thousands of times before acting on it. And what was happening when they were meditating? Did they have this thought over and over and over and just ignore it or push it down or say it's empty? You know, um, who knows? But they clearly had to have had the thought many times and they didn't work with it. So, this is really to me bringing this out of the taboo zone and, and saying, okay, if this is happening, how do I work with it skillfully? to um, to digest that material and now that we have psychology we have a lot more understanding of how to work with things like this in the old days pretty much every spiritual tradition around the world their answer to the instinctual drives was monasticism you just take it all away that is the answer you don't have any possessions so you don't have a self-preservation drive where you can you know be overly concerned about stuff. You don't have any money. You can't handle money in some traditions. Um, you don't have a partner. You don't reproduce and have children. You don't have any sex. Um, you don't have any special one person other than your teacher. So take all that away. The a tribal, okay, get rid of your whole family. You come live here with us behind these walls. We all dress alike. We all look alike. We're your family, not we're your tribe. And don't go outside and mingle too much with the other people, you know. So this is how they handled it. And and because they didn't have a lot of other options. But unfortunately, when we don't work with this stuff, it all gets pushed into the unconscious. And all we have to do is look at the Catholic Church to see that in action. So, um, I mean, Buddhism isn't free from scandals either. So, so this is where, um, you know, really working with it is a much more sophisticated and honest way of uh, working with these drives. So the heart center then, um, the, the centers do stack. So if it's really more optimal that the belly center is you know, at least somewhat stable and active in order for the heart center to feel secure and being open. And a lot of meditation really works with the belly center. At some point, my talk from last month will be available. So if you missed it, you want to know that. But the belly center—it's you know, in meditation, we're learning to come back to something over and over and develop our will and our stamina and our steadfastness and, and, uh, So the belly center does get worked with a lot of kinds of meditation and that helps because if the heart center, some people who have a a very open, well-developed heart center might not be that stable in the world if the belly center isn't solid, you know, may have big heart, but not be able to really manage One's life that well, or, or may place trust in the wrong things, things like that. So it's helpful. The center stacking is a good, you know, good development if that's possible. Some people mainly have a head center. Most, most of us do. Most of us rely, over rely on our head center. It's highly valued. So a lot of times the heart center isn't as valued societally in our modern society and it's also um, seen as like a place to mistrust like you know I really trust the logic of my head over the knowing of my heart so a lot of us really haven't uh, shy away a away from the heart center and um, that's really a shame because there is a lot of knowing that comes from this this center and what we can know about truth from that center that sometimes is more reliable than the head where we can distort things and, and, um, and try to make them something that isn't really true for us. You know, like we we think we should do this. So we do it. But if our heart isn't willing to come along, we're never really going to be all in it. So, We do have practices in Buddhism, fortunately, for the Sabranviharas, which I will talk about towards the end. So the instinctual drive then here is the, technically of the three, you know, survival instincts. All of the other instincts come from the survival instinct, including in a way the enlightenment drive, which is interesting. Um, But this is the instinct, the sexual instinct that all mammals have. And even amphibians have it, you know, so that the instinct to reproduce and, but this really is going beyond talking just about that. It's really about that um, belief that my security lies in my one-on-one relationship with that special other, that if I just have that other, then I'm gonna feel safe. And if I don't have that other, maybe I'm not as safe. And as mammals, we're a lot safer if we're sleeping in the wilderness in the dark and there's someone else there, if we're trying to sleep in the wilderness as a mammal by ourselves, how can we ever really sleep because we don't know if we're going to get attacked. So there's something really in us at a primitive level that can feel more secure having that special other that's going to make us feel um, secure. And that's really what this is pointing to. And the the sexual drive is part of that. So um, also child raising for some people, the urge to reproduce is a big part of this instinct and can become very, very compelling. And it's not to say that any of these things are wrong. These are all part of the human experience, but it's understanding when they become, when they come to a more compulsive level and how they supersede our spiritual practice where ultimately, you know, again, this is what the Buddha was pointing to and saying was that the only place that we can really rest that is um, reliable and permanent is our deeper nature beyond the body, beyond the physical realm, beyond the personality. When we know that nature that we are, it is that peace that passes all understanding as they say in Christianity there's something in that that is permanent and that is is reliable when we know it from our own experience. So this is where uh, we're taking that relationship to be a deeper source of our security than our own nature, than the deeper nature of reality. So in many traditions, and you know, In many traditions, the heart is seen as not that important. Like in Buddhism, we don't really emphasize the heart that much. We do have the brown viharas. But in some traditions, like the Sufi tradition, the heart is really the most important center. So it kind of depends what what tradition you're coming from. If you look at like the symbol of the cross and you look at the physical body, you know, the heart is right at the center of the physical body. So there is a way that if you just look at our physicality, the heart center really is, it is the most central thing to us. And um, in Buddhism, there is, there is importance placed on the heart mind, chitta means heart mind. So it's, it's a word that combines the two centers and that is considered very important. So there is a way that we do have this referenced in Buddhism as something that's very central, um, but it's not quite as central as, um, as is, is in some other traditions. So in this then people seek refuge in their primary relationship or sometimes people will reject it. So. The importance of a center we can see either from our, you know, being very spending a lot of time thinking about it, you know, working on it, and especially the this drive has to do mostly with our, our um, primary relationship with a partner. But it can also apply to others, like people who have this as their their highest drive, really enjoys like spending time one-on-one with friends, not so much in a big group. The one-on-one is more satisfying. Um, But people in, so either people think about it a lot or sometimes reject it. but either way, it's something that occupies a lot of mind share. And also, we can see this when we're meditating and seeing what's pulling us off of our object. Like I see this on retreats, that you know, I hear whatever is going on with people pulling them off the object, whatever meditation they're doing. You know, I work with people on this, and sometimes people, sometimes it will be um, sexual, and people will have sexual fantasies or be. Um, Uh, you know, thinking about it a lot, or that's just something taking them off of the object. Um, Or sometimes people will find that, you know, their retreat is going pretty well. But then around day four or five, they start thinking about their family or their loved ones. And they like I used to have somebody who came to my retreats who Did a lot of retreats and she'd get to a point of a lot of stillness where her ego self wasn't very active. And then she'd she'd be convinced that her family was just missing her desperately and that she was letting them down every retreat. And she'd even, like, after the retreat, ask them. One time she called them and she said, Oh, I feel so bad. Are you all missing me? And they're like, No, we're so happy you're having a great retreat. It was all in her, it was showing that this is, you know, that drive. Because she wasn't in contact with people, it was um, it was pulling her off her object in terms of uh, her own personality patterning. Um, so people also may in in when this drive is really active, we may do things in relationship that really aren't authentic for us, you know, we may stay in relationships or behave in certain ways that feel inauthentic, but we do it because we have to keep that relationship. And it's more important than actually being than truth. You know, so um these are different places we can see that that drive is taking precedence over our spiritual path and over really living from a sense of, of truth and, um, being with what's actually happening in the present moment. So only when we have comfort And, you know, we can still have relationships on the path. This isn't about whether or not to have a relationship. It's about how we're relating to that and working with the places where it's compulsive. So when this center is is well-balanced, people can be in relationship and feel like they're not, you know, sacrificing their own authenticity for the relationship that they can really be who they are and be in the relationship. And if that, you know, hopefully that creates a lot of joy, but if it creates some rubs, then they're okay with that. Um, Or people cannot have a relationship and it is it doesn't ruin their life if they don't have one. And sometimes, you know, one of the things I found is that people sometimes who have been in a relationship for decades may not really Know what it's like to not be in a relationship, or they may have neg- neglected their relationship um, to the point where it's it's kind of an afterthought, you know, it isn't really alive, there isn't an aliveness there. It's kind of taken for granted and there's a deadness. And when when this drive, when this drive is clear and when the heart center is clear, there isn't a deadness. That's not part of our deeper nature. So sometimes people just go along with a relationship because it's comfortable and they want to have that companionship, even though there's, you know, a lot of things that have gone been buried and, um, and they just don't want to deal with it because the comfort of having that relationship, even if it's kind of dead, is better than the risk of being alone. Um, So these are all places where we can see this drive kind of overtaking the the juiciness of our deeper nature and the commitment to truth that is part, really, if we're there in the present moment, whatever's there is the aliveness of our being. And so if we're ignoring those things in our relationship, there's a way that we're not actually being present. Um, And when it comes to the sexual instinct, people also can be very um, compulsive with that or not have that be part of their life. And there's all kinds of options that are completely valid around that. But if there's, if there's a lot of attachment in either way, that's where we can see this, this instinct kind of um, getting out of, out of whack. And then ultimately, the potential for the heart center, there's a couple of potentials. One is that the kind of love that we have that is impersonal. So I've been talking mainly about personal love that has to do with other individuals. When we know the deeper love of our deeper nature that is impersonal, that applies to all beings, and this is part of what the Brahma Viharas are cultivating, is that they're pointing to what I would call non-dual love where we have a sense that all of manifestation is a manifestation of love and in buddhism we don't emphasize this as much as other traditions the western traditions that are more deity oriented that are more focused on unity you know unity with the with god um tend to have more of a sense of uh of love being a manifestation of our deep, of the ground of being, but it's possible, you know, in any tradition, if we're really in touch with our deeper nature to have this experience of non-dual love in which everything, we can perceive everything as a manifestation of the mystery that is manifesting as love. And then it's not personalized and there are pictures, if you look at the, the Tibetan um, Yabyam pictures, the Tonka paintings where they show that the, the male and the female figure in a, an embrace that appears sexual, that is really, that signifies a lot of things. But one of the things that it's signifying is the ground of being and the, the individual consciousness of the human in an embrace that is basically creating all of reality, you know, having when we are one with our deeper nature in the way that the Buddha was talking about, it can be so blissful that it's way more blissful than any sexual experience a person could have. So this is part of the potential of the spiritual path is to, um, to have our contact with our own nature be so unmediated that it's better than any sexual experience we can possibly know. And this is why the monastics, you know, if they got far enough, they didn't really miss it. So, um, you know, this is the potential is to know our nature. I mean, the, this impulse is creating new humans. Think of that. You know, that sexual impulse creates a new human. We don't even know how to really do that. Well, I guess we do know how to do it in science now, but there's something amazing about that. And human love is so beautiful. Why are we so compelled by human love? Why are there a million songs written about it in movies and other things? Because it's, it's a close representation of what we can have with our own nature. And that's the potential of the heart center when it's open um, to have unmediated contact in a way that is is ultimately satisfying because we don't need anyone else to have that. And also when the heart is open, the way we understand it, like with the Brahma Viharas, those practices are, in my view, really neglected a lot because... And what I find is that as people get farther on the path, if they haven't worked the heart center, it blocks their unfoldment. Because if we're going to be able to be present in the present moment, we have to be able to tolerate anything that arises in the human condition. And there's a lot of hard stuff, loss, sorrow, oppression, unfairness. What do we do with all these things? Usually, you know, the the tendency is to just shut down and to not want to feel the heart. That's part of why I did this meditation was so that you could really just focus on that area and see, is it easy? Is it hard? What's happening there? Um, It's, this is the hardest place to be. When people can't be in the present moment, it's not usually because of a thought. It's because it hurts in the heart. Something's painful about it. And um, so when we really have worked with the heart center, the potential is that our heart can be open and not have to close down, no matter what happens in the human condition to ourselves, to loved ones in the greater humanity that we can meet that without having to turn away and shut down because it's too much, because we, it's overwhelming. So when the heart center is open, we can we can be with these things, and um, there there are many ways to work with this center. The Viharas are the practices in Buddhism specifically designed to help work with the blockages in the heart center. If we really do them intensively and really retreat, is a great way to work with the Viharas intensively. Um, Five minutes a day isn't going to be enough to really work with all those blockages. But, you know, there is whatever we're doing with the Brahmi Hars is good. But if we're really going to work with it seriously, it needs to be at a, at a deeper level than that. Um, we can off the cushion, notice our attachment and suffering in one on one relationships and around sexuality, any compulsiveness there, any um, like obsessing, ruminating. All of that is a way without judging ourselves to notice that if these teachers who had acted on this drive had done that, they wouldn't have acted it out. If they had gone to another teacher and said, you know what, I'm really embarrassed about this, but I keep having these thoughts. Can you help me? It probably would have never happened, but they couldn't do it because they were, who knows why I can make up reasons why, but they didn't, they acted it out instead. So, um, so just notice these things in our own life, um, where those one on one relationships are taking an inordinate amount of mind share. We can use vipassana to do what I was guiding you through with really feeling the heart center, feeling all the, the different foundations of mindfulness. What's going on with me? You know, if I'm in a say conflicted situation with somebody or I'm longing for something, what's going on with me? What's missing here? Um, what, you know, Let me get to know my own heart in a way that I can come close to it, not have to be afraid of going there. And then in practices like Dzogchen, where we're, you know, I teach based on these four categories, that would be the self transcending practice. If we have access to our deeper nature um, through practices like that or Chitta Nupasana, then we can see the vastness of our consciousness, it's boundless. And a lot of times it puts these heart issues into a perspective that makes them a smaller um, portion of of our ability to know what we are at a much more expansive level. It puts them into a perspective that can make them more manageable. So I think I'll stop
1: there and see if there are any questions or comments.
2: Well, I'll try and formulate something.
1: Okay, Steve.
2: So um, you know, I certainly have been somebody who's been in relationships with very good people. And, you know, from an early age I can look back and I was a seeker. And when I look at, you know, there are many reasons why they ended, but Certainly part of that was that um, I, came to my, I came up against my truth of being in relationship with somebody who wasn't on a spiritual path. Good people, loving, nothing terrible happened in any of the relationships. And so here I am now single, and um, I'm doing a lot of psychological work around that. But I can't say that I do I don't want to say here. Um, you know, I miss it. And, you know, there's no, you know, Buddhist dating app out there so where we meet people. And, 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 and maybe you could just speak to, look, this. I know it's an individual question, but how does one negotiate a relationship with somebody who is not on the path? Is that, pop- I shouldn't say, is it possible? Maybe just some wisdom in that or some thoughts about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate your willingness to be vulnerable with that. And, you know, these things aren't things we talk about in Dharma talks that much, you know, but it's a part, it's a huge part of all of our lives, you know, so to be able to really bring it in without a lot of, you know, inner critic judgment, and just be curious is is really, um, it's a way of including Everything. (laughs) In our practice, you know, there's no line in the middle of us that separates out our relationship from our from our our meditation or anything else about our spiritual unfoldment. So, yeah, there is. You know, I think what I would say is I've seen people on all sides of this. I know people who have extremely deep practices whose partners aren't on the path. I mean, you, you need to have a partner who at least supports you being on a path. Without that, if they're trying to block it or, you know, are against it, that that really doesn't work so well because it causes a lot of conflict and guilt and other things. But having a partner who may not be on a spiritual path, but is supportive um, and is doing their own maybe psychological work or other things, I have seen people where that's fine. I know lots of people who have been married for 30 or 40 years and their partner isn't on a path and they wish they were maybe, but they have a lovely, wonderful relationship and it's not a blockage at all. So just to say that that's possible and it's wonderful to have a partner who's on the path. It's so wonderful because you can talk about these things, maybe go to retreats together. You can practice together you know there's so many wonderful benefits of it and if that is what arises for you from the mystery you know more power to you because it is wonderful and I've had both I've had both of those you know partner that was on the path and we shared these things partners who weren't on the path or had a different path where there wasn't much overlap There is a point in one's practice where it's, you know, this is Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. And really what you're pointing to is the importance of Sangha. Is it, you know, this is such a deep relationship and to have spend that much time with somebody who isn't on the path, how is that? Does it support me? Doesn't it? Um, If you have other Dharma friends, that makes all the difference, having other Dharma friends. and honestly, if you wanna see your own material around this, try going on match.com for a while, you know? And it's, we all see our material when we're out there single and dating. I mean, it's, it's a place where all of the, um, you know, all of our, the teenage imprints we had about all of these things, can get activated and it's, it's, it can be a practice in itself, actually being single and on the path and encountering so many people who aren't on the path or just being, and again, I'm speaking from experience because I've been single at times throughout my journey and have been on dating apps. So I'm again, speaking from experience, boy, it, it triggers a lot of stuff, but if we're using it as a practice of saying, okay, what's going on in me here? then it all becomes food for our practice, you know? So I don't think in my experience and also my working with, you know, hundreds of people, you know, in a deep way over the years, I don't think there is an answer that yes, you must always have somebody who's on the path if you're on the path. I I really haven't seen that. It's nice if it happens, but I don't think it's required. So I don't know what has your experience been with with that.
2: Hell. Just the hell realm. <laughs> yeah. I don't it's it's all actually quite confusing to me and I'm sorting it out for myself.
0: Yeah, it's I I think it's really with any of the centers and yeah. really, with anything in our life and in our path, really, it's always about bringing consciousness to what we're doing. If we're finding our play, ourselves like regressing or, or being compulsive, okay, come back here. What's going on here? Or, or like, you know, one of the things about dating apps, you are going to get rejected a lot. Yeah. And yeah. so it's, it's a chance to work with like, what's it like to get the people have a right to not you know, not want to engage, you know, and in some ways there's a real maturing that can happen from going through that whole process.
2: Yeah, I, I totally hear what you're saying. For me, it's more this fine line of, uh, you know, of, you know, craving or not craving, you know, am I on the app? You know, it's, again, I'm just sort of sorting it out, but you know, thinking of the noble, you know, the Four Noble Truths. And so, yeah, yeah.
0: Right. Yeah, well, I mean, as long as we're doing anything in life, there's some kind of impulse to do something. So where is that impulse coming from?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And that's, you know, that's part of what we can look at. Craving, it's a good term to use because a lot of times when people are single, there is a lot of craving to be in a relationship, there's a lot of suffering about not being in one. But honestly, I've talked to a lot of married people who have a craving to maybe either upgrade their relationship or be out of it. So you know, whatever side of the equation we're on, there are different kinds of craving that can arise around our relationship. And so You know, it, these are all things, all of it is an opportunity to bring into our practice. Where's the wholesomeness? Where's the unwholesomeness? And to be gentle and kind with ourselves because this area in particular creates a lot of suffering on the planet. That's why we have so many songs about it.
2: (laughs) I really appreciate what you're saying. And um, yeah, and that it's just. Everything is the Dharma, right? Remembering that and that, yeah.
0: Exactly. And I actually, there's, I have a friend who's a really well-known spiritual teacher and, and, you know, we've seen each other on and off over years when I have been on and off single. And he always, he wanted me to do a whole series on spiritual dating and bringing consciousness to it. It wasn't really something I wanted to be known for. So I said, no, but, um, but it is, I, I mean, yeah, it's a huge thing and most people these days are meeting online more than 50% of people now of all ages meet online so how do we engage in something where most people aren't necessarily bringing consciousness to it. How, how do you make it a part of your practice as best you can, while well, being out in the normal world. Yeah. You know? Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. And I also wanna just add one thing. And I was just talking with somebody about this yesterday that one of the mysteries of the human experience is we don't actually get to pick who we love in that way. It's one of the things that you find when you are dating maybe you know, several people, you can't like make yourself love someone in the way that is compelling enough to wanna to partner with that person. So there's something that is really mysterious about that whole um, process of falling in love that I really believe that when this, all, all of our opportunities, all of our opportunities to be with another person, whether it's for like one date or whether you spend a lifetime with them, their chances to um, to express something of our deeper nature with another human and also chances to see our own patterning and, and really this is one of the places that comes out the most is in those intimate relationships. It's a place where our practice can actually be really fruitful if we're willing to include how we're showing up in those relationships and try to do it without you know self-judgment and include it in our practice and really it's wherever you go there you are the patterns that are taking you off off your breath when you're trying to do samatha or vipassana um, are the same patterns that are going to come in when we're at work you know a lot of people have a a lot of suffering around work or in our in our relationships our romantic relationships so um These are all places where if we're working these off the cushion, our unfoldments going to go a lot faster because we have an extra 15 or 16 hours a day that we're including in our practice instead of just the time that we're on the cushion. So um, working with them skillfully is really, you know, the big place to uh, be curious because you know, traditionally, it's been well, all the thoughts are empty, but that can lead to I don't know if maybe I said this earlier, but spiritual bypassing, just pushing it down, saying, Oh, it's all empty. Mm, Yeah, no, you know, we know a lot more now with psychology, um, that if we're just pushing it into the unconscious, it's going to leak out. So there are more skillful ways to work with what we're seeing, than just telling ourselves that it's true that they are all empty, but there's a lot of ground in between actually the experience of it being empty and having psychological
3: attachments. Joe, beth What's coming up for me is uh, uh, thinking about how our our current uh, Christian patriarchal culture is feeding into this because... uh, I have experienced times in my life when I uh, felt a lot of oneness and I had a lot of love for a whole lot of people, really deep love. Mm -hmm. And and I think a lot of people, especially younger generation people in our culture are are experimenting with uh, polyamory and those sorts of things. And way back, way back, decades and decades ago some of the cultures were that's all they they, they didn't have any monogamous culture i believe so i'm i'm mm-hmm. having all of a sudden this little juxtaposition in how to fit this one special person you're talking about uh, in into this how how much does our Christian and patriarchal culture requiring that that there is monogamy. How much does this play into this whole idea of that mm-hmm. you have to have one special person?
0: Well, I'm not saying you have to have one special person. So if that, you, not, you
3: personally, I mean, yeah, obviously.
0: no, it's some people this instinctual drive is the lowest. And for those people, they might tend towards Something like polyamory, probably the social instinct would be more about maybe their top one where it's more about the group. So, um, and if you look at animal species out there, I like birding. There are birds that have all kinds of different relationships and all kinds of animals, including what you're saying, some mate for life. Most don't. Most animals don't mate for life. It's rare actually and some like I was just reading an article today in, in um, a birding uh, magazine that a lot of birds you think even when they're on the nest and they're both feeding the young some birds are out there with other birds oh, all yeah. and around so you know so in nature you see all kinds of configurations that's the reality and the same is true with humans. So to me, that's it's a function of which instinctual drive is the strongest. For some of the self-preservation, people wear self-presence, their top um, instinctual drive. They don't care that much about relationships. They care about their home and what they're eating and physical stuff is primary for them. So they may not even care that much about um, having you know, relationships as primary. So that's what I would say about that is that, you know, types of sexual arrangements, this has no kind of value judgment whatsoever on that. It's really more talking about as a drive wanting to, and it doesn't even have to be a romantic relationship, although this is where it comes out. Some people, the one-on-one drive shows up in friendships. We're having, meaningful friendships with one person not necessarily being part of a group. But um, having those one on one relationships are very satisfying and important. And that's a place we can see that drive coming out. So but for people like if what you're saying sounds like an experience of non dual love to me when you had a sense of love for everyone that was more universal. That is really the potential for all of us to have that within ourselves so that we're not dependent on relationships in order to feel the love that is an inherent part of our nature. And at that point, when we show up to a relationship, whether it's one-on-one or group or with ourself, we're not needing to be filled up, we're, we're full and we're arriving with that. As part of our fullness that we have to offer the situation, so we're over our time. So I'm going to stop there. But thank you good to be with. You're welcome. Does how did that land with
3: you? Just to circle back. Well, um, uh, it 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 was it's it's a little bit helpful, but I would. I would love to have 15 minutes to talk to you about it. So, but um, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe it, next it time we can circle back to this. Yeah, yeah. And the heart
0: center, you know, the instinctual drives in the center. The heart center has aspects to it that aren't about that have nothing to do with the one-on-one drive that are more like in the Horace. We have, you know, these expanding circles of people that are included. So there's a lot of different aspects to the heart center in addition to that, that are you know really worth exploring and being in touch with and cultivating. Okay, well, good to be with you all. And I will be talking next time about the head center and the social instinct. So may we all find the love that is an inherent part of our nature and have that to share with others. Good night. You're welcome to unmute and say good night to everyone if you'd like to.
1: Thanks, Tina. Good, night. Good, good
3: night. night. good
1: night, everybody. Bye, good folks. Nice to be with everyone. Good again. Thank, Thank
3: you. Good, good night. night.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma seed, please visit slash donate.